We come again this morning to God's Word in the book of First Peter. This first letter written by the Apostle Peter to believers who are undergoing extreme hardship. And these are fairly familiar words to us. And you'll see as we read this first passage, we've read this over and over and over. But there's method in the madness here. Because as we read God's Word over and over, it comes into our heads and into our understandings and then God can use it. And so we're coming again to this passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. Let's just read God's Word together from verse 1. Oh, sorry, verse 3. Blessed be the Lord... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. That's the passage we're going to be looking at today. And I'm sure you've already noticed here what the Apostle Peter is doing as he tries to encourage these believers. Remember, he was trying to encourage them to endure under hard times. They were going through extremely difficult times. Their lives were in danger. They were running for their lives. Their families were being scattered. And as they did so, they must have been asking questions. Why? Why is this happening to us? Is God here? Is He seeing all this? And he's also reminding them that their true joy comes from inside. It's what the Holy Spirit puts inside of them and not dependent on their outside circumstances. The Apostle Peter is reminding them of this glorious gift of salvation that God has given to them. And now as he gets to verses 10 to 12, he's enlarging upon this original doxology that he started, this hymn of praise to God, because that's what these verses have been. It's been a hymn of praise to God. Look what God has done for you. He started with you way back in eternity past. He chose you 
to have a relationship with you. And now he, Peter has developed that theme and he's told them what they are to do to endure trials, what they are to do to have real joy inside of them. And now he expands out and he gives them the big picture. And he says to them, this is God's grace come to you. Look what God has done. Step back a little bit from your situation and look what God has done throughout history. And that's why he refers to the prophets and to the apostles. What has God done for them? Well, God caused them to be born again, didn't he? He caused them to obtain an imperishable inheritance. Let's remind ourselves of that. They themselves became God's inheritance as well. And God is keeping these believers in his hands. And he puts them through trials to turn their faith into gold. Which will bring praise and glory to him. And then he reminds them, as we saw last time, that even though they've not physically seen him, they can still love him. You see, the faith we believe in is not a faith dependent on sight, is it? We were reminded of that by human relationships. When someone walks out the room, you don't stop loving them because they're not there anymore. You love them because of what you know about them and the relationship you have with them. In the same way with the Lord, we cannot see Him, but we can love Him. We can believe in Him. We can believe these things He's told us in His Word. We can say, I will stake my life on these. This is truth. I believe it. The question is, do we? We hear these words, we see these words in Scripture, but do we believe them? Do we believe what we believe? And then, as we believe God and we rejoice in Him, He gives us an even greater joy, which reflects that joy we're going to have one day in heaven when Christ comes again. And so Peter says in this passage, verses 10 to 12, he says, but that's not all. There's even more, he says. Step back a bit. You can overcome any difficult circumstance and the severest situation of persecution, says Peter, because this salvation you've been given is according to God's sovereign plan which stretches from eternity to eternity. That's the big picture. Matthew Henry reminded us last time, and I'm going to repeat it again. He reminded us that salvation is one permanent thing. It, it was begun before this life. It's active in this life. It's not interrupted by death. Your salvation doesn't stop when you die. It just carries on. And it continued to all eternity. Our salvation is going to be active one day when we're with Christ, because that's going to be the fulfillment of it, isn't it? So Peter says to them, you can face any and every situation, here's the word, triumphantly because of the grandeur of God's plan of salvation which you are even now being persecuted for. They, you see, they were looking at their situation and they were thinking, this stuff is happening to us. Why? And Peter's reminding them, remember what God has done for you now, step back. You are just part of God's grand plan of salvation. You are fulfilling a part in it. God has planned it that way. Take courage. I don't know if any of you know the artist Rolf Harris. Any of you know, may not know him personally, but um, you may have um, seen the way he, he paints. I used to be fascinated as a young person 
just to see. He would walk up and there was a big piece of paper and he'd have this big, thick paintbrush like this and a few cans of paint. And then he'd start just talking to the audience. And while he was talking, he would kind of just start painting. And it looked like he was painting a little bit here, a little bit there. And it didn't kind of make sense. There's just these squiggles on paper. That's to me, I'm not an artist, so you can see that. But, but as he would do that, he'd even sing to himself, pom, pom, buddly, pom, and he'd, he'd be painting away, speaking to the people, and it kind of, you could kind of start seeing things, but then his piece de resistance, I think that was good French, he, he would take the final, he'd left this one little gap, and as he took his paintbrush, he'd filled in that one little gap, and the whole thing just fell in place. It's amazing how he did that. Now, this is what's happening with this passage today. These believers are in extreme times of trial, and they are going through all this. They've been reminded of what God's done for them, and now the Apostle Peter says, stand back and look, we're going to put a final piece in place, and it will make sense to you. So what is the salvation that we're going to be seeing here, this grace that has come to you? And that's a good definition of salvation, by the way. Grace that has come to you, as he gives it in the text well, firstly, the Apostle says it was studied by the prophets. Let's look in our text over there. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person of time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. And he carries on. So this message of salvation was studied and prophesied on by these prophets. Now, prophet, the word prophet is made up of two parts. The first part means to say something, to proclaim something. And the second part is to proclaim in advance of something happening. So these prophets were proclaimers. They had to preach God's word in today's terms, but they were also to prophesy of things that hadn't yet taken place. So in the Old Testament, which was the time they were living in, they would examine their scriptures as they had them that day, those days, and then they would preach God's will from there. And also as God revealed His will to them, they would then proclaim that to the people. What did the Old Testament readers understand about salvation? Let's go and look. I want you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Old Testament, if you were wondering. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45, verses 22 to 25. Many people have asked, so what did the Old Testament people know about salvation? Did they understand anything about salvation as we understand it? Well, here's the answer to you. This could, have, could as well just have been written in the New Testament. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22. Listen to God's words. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. That to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him 
and all who were angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. So, did they understand the gospel message as we know it? Yes, they did. There it is. Come to me, says the Lord, and I will save you. And so that was the the message these prophets would bring to the people. They were preaching a gospel of sin, repentance, and of present day grace to them right there and there. Salvation was available to them. But there's another element here. From Moses to Malachi in the Old Testament, all those prophets, through to John the Baptist in the New Testament, who was the last prophet before Christ came, All these prophets were fascinated by God's future promises of salvation as to the future generation that was to come. A a yet unborn generation that the Spirit had told them about. They were fascinated by this because they didn't know anything about it. A grace that would come to you, this generation. And so these prophets made a careful search into the Old Testament Scriptures. They made careful inquiries. It was like the word, the phrase used here is to dig down into a mine. That's the fervency that they used. They really wanted to dig down and find out for themselves what God was saying to them about this future generation, which was a mystery to them. We call it today the church. They didn't know about the church. They'd never heard that word before. But there were specific things that they were looking for. Verse 11 gives you that clue. What were the two things they were looking for? Have a look in your text. They were looking for the person. In other words, who it was that would suffer and what time in history this would take place. Those are the two things they were specifically looking for. You see, they knew what salvation was about. We've already shown you that in Isaiah. They knew how it would take place. They knew that a man was going to die. The Messiah was going to die. They knew that. But when it would happen, they didn't know and they wanted to know that very much like we do today about when is Christ coming again. We want to know that. And who this Messiah would be, the specific one he would be. They wanted to know who that would be. And as they dug down into the Old Testament scriptures, they found that they couldn't find those answers. But the Spirit, and our text says the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating something else to them here. The Spirit was revealing new truth to them. Our text says the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. He was pointing to new truths to them. And as they searched through these Old Testament scriptures, he was making it clear to them that they could now only see a part of God's plan, but he would show them a new part of it, which was coming. You see, the source of their predictions was not their own personal musings or thoughts or predictions about what was going to happen. The source of their inspiration was the Holy Spirit Himself. Yes, He wasn't living in people as we understand it today. He was coming into them specifically with a task to give them inspiration, to show them what was going to happen. You can read about that as we did earlier in Second Peter 1 verses 19 to 21 where the Apostle Peter says that men were moved by the Holy Spirit. That word moved there means inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
They didn't know these things. They had done research in the Old Testament Scriptures, but the Holy Spirit came and showed them completely new truths. And then, even though they couldn't understand that, they declared that truth to the people. Now, there's faith in action. These Old Testament prophets declared what they couldn't understand properly yet, but they trusted it because the Spirit had told them that, the Spirit of Christ. And there are two specific things that they predicted. Have a look in the text again. What are those two things? There are two matters about the Messiah that they were predicting. Firstly, the sufferings of Christ. That was the specifics they were going to get from the Holy Spirit. How would this Messiah suffer? And the second thing that they were going to be shown was the glories that would follow. Those are two specific things, says our text. So let's look at the sufferings of Christ. What were they told by the Holy Spirit? Well, they were given very specific instructions as to how the Messiah would die specifically. And I'm using that word specifically too much, but it's there for a purpose. He was giving them very precise indications as to how this Messiah, in a few hundred years' time, would actually be crucified and very specific instructions on how he would suffer. You try showing me a prophet today who calls themselves a prophet who can give me such specific instructions about the future and then be really confident and say, that's it, that's how it's going to be. I will put my life on them. Well, that's what these prophets were doing. What were they showing? Psalm 22 describes Christ's crucifixion in great detail. And you know that psalm. I'm going to just take some phrases from there. Listen, even his very words were quoted by these prophets hundreds of years ago. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How specific do you want to get? Christ uttered those words to fulfill prophecy. They pierced my hands and my feet. That's quite specific. He could have died in so many ways. He could have been mauled to death by lions. He could have been stretched between wild horses. They could have just speared him. No, they pierced my hands and my feet, says these prophets hundreds of years before it happens. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You want specifics? There it is. Even to those soldiers sitting on the ground in front of the cross of Jesus Christ, their actions are even prophesied. Hundreds of years before. Isaiah 53 is another Old Testament passage which describes Christ's suffering in great detail. Here's some extracts from that. He was despised and forsaken of men. He himself bore our griefs. There wasn't anyone else. It was going to be the Messiah. He was smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was scourged. He was whipped. Now, how would these men know that if this wasn't told to them? They, they couldn't have known. You see, without the Spirit's prediction, there was no way these men could have accurately described the Messiah's death. There was no way they could do it. And that is verification to us today as well, that this was from the Lord. The second thing that the Spirit showed them was the glories that would follow his death. There's a specific order here that the Holy Spirit shows to these people so long ago. He says he's going to suffer and then there's going to be glory for him afterwards. What are these glories that were described? Well, the Messiah was resurrected. 
Now, where in the Old Testament would they have known that one? He was resurrected. He ascended into heaven. He resumed his glory at the Father's right hand on his throne. He reigns in glory as the judge of all. And he is coming again. That was predicted by these prophets hundreds of years before it happened. And that one hasn't happened yet, if you were just wondering. We are still looking forward to the return. So those prophecies made so many hundreds of years ago, and it's now thousands, are still waiting to be fulfilled. The others have happened, so guess what? The, other, the last one's going to happen as well. You see, as the Spirit pointed these details out to the prophets, they proclaimed them as truth to the people, even though they could not understand everything that was being told them. Isn't that a great lesson to us today? Here we've got God's Word given to us in its fullness. God has said, there's my Word to you. It's breathed out to you. It is inspired. Now believe it and live it out. What do we do? We read it. And we read it. And we discuss it. And we have meetings about it. But do we allow it to change our lives? Do we take God at His Word? Do we show the same faith that these Old Testament prophets showed? There's a third matter that the Spirit of Christ revealed to them. And that's the exciting one for us, for you and me, as we are here in 2010, here at Wanganui East Baptist. He revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, says our text, verse 12, but a future generation. And he speaks about they were serving you. Now remember the Apostle Peter is writing to these early believers, the early church. And he says, these Old Old Testament prophets were serving you by declaring these truths. You are the church. You see, the Messiah's coming and the blessings that would come from this event would not have historical fulfillment in their own day. Those prophets in the Old Testament knew because the Holy Spirit told them that they were not going to see these things happen in their day, but they were to serve Him faithfully and proclaim it. And then one day a future generation would see the fulfillment of all these things. So what were these Old Testament prophets doing? They were just putting it out there to the people. Their task was to spread the table so that others might afterwards feed on the food they'd put on that table. Do you get the picture? And as they did so, God is a gracious God. As they did so, what does God do? He gives them hope, those prophets, that what they had said will come true. And they saw it as truth. It would happen. And they got hope from that. And then the exciting thing, hundreds of years later, just as predicted and as we read in Matthew chapter 2, on a specific day at a specific millisecond in time, those predictions came true and Jesus Christ was born, as predicted. Those magi knew that the Messiah was going to be born in a specific place at a time that they had seen in their, old, in their documents. And they weren't part of the nation of Israel. They were from far out in the east somewhere. They had read about these predictions and they believed them. And so they came all the way, months journey, to see these predictions fulfilled. At the appointed time, Jesus was born in a specific place, Bethlehem. He grew, grew up in a specific place as prophesied. Nazareth, it happened that way. And he ministered to the people of Israel. And at an appointed time, and as predicted by these Old Testament prophets, 
Jesus was crucified just as described in Psalm 22 and as in Isaiah. Described hundreds of years ago. And then on the third day, as predicted, He rose again from the dead. And He ascended into heaven as prophesied. And in so doing, brought salvation to every single one of us as prophesied. We are the future, that new generation that was spoken of, the church. But you know, God's glorious story of salvation doesn't stop there. There's a further element added. We now have the church in history. Are you still staying with me in this kind of history lesson? We now have the church. And Christ has died, he's gone to heaven, he's ascended and gone to heaven, and he's at the Father's right hand, and he sends his helper back into the earth, as promised and as predicted. And now we have this new phase, this future generation that the Old Testament prophets had been predicting. And God sends his spirit into these believers on the day of Pentecost. And apostles are raised up, and apostles start proclaiming this truth openly. And powerfully, as the Holy Spirit works in and through them to speak to the people. And thousands of people get saved in one day. I would have loved to have been at that church service. It's thousands in one day. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working through them. And it's the culmination point of all this prophecy. There it's happening to them. And as these people listen to this powerfully proclaimed gospel message. They were converted, they were changed, given new life, and they joined this church in their thousands, as the prophets had said. But it doesn't stop there. The gospel message then goes from them, and as the persecution starts being hammered onto the church, the church splits up all over the world, and this salvation message is taken all over the Roman world, but not just there, all over Africa, all over the rest of Asia. Do you see what's happening here? The salvation message that the prophets had spoken about is now going all over the world. And Peter comes to his readers and he says, you know what? You might be going through persecution, but guess what? You are part of this salvation story. We are now in this new age, says Peter. Take courage. God has been doing this from eternity past, right through the Old Testament. Now we are in the New Testament and God is still at work and you are part of it. This was predicted. So take courage. God is in control. Peter reminds them about the grandeur of God's plan of salvation. You see, the prophets prophesied the salvation and now it had come to pass. The church that had been started could now participate in that plan which had been coming all this way through history. They were now part of it. And Peter says to them, you are being persecuted and you are even dying for your faith. But it's not just a cosmic accident. It's not just a haphazard set of circumstances. You'll hear even today, people will say that in the world. We can't help what happens to us. It just happens. Fate. That's just my fate. Stuff happens. No, it's not just a cosmic accident. There is someone in control. He is working out his plan of salvation in history in reality today and into the future. Peter says, you've been specifically chosen to be part of God's plan of salvation. What a privilege. You see, this is bigger than just you and your circumstances, says Peter to these readers. Your little story is all about God's grand story. 
And don't we so often get tied up in our little stories in life? And it's only when we step back and we read our Bibles and we see how God's plan of salvation is worked out throughout history and now it's come to us in 2010 that we can actually gain courage and say, I am part of this. God predicted this through the Old Testament prophets. I'm now part of this church. I'm part of God's plan. And He's going to take me through into the future with Him. How do I know it? Because of what's happened in the past. It's all come true, hasn't it? Has anything that God ever predicted not come true? No, it has. And so the future must be true as well. We can take courage from that. And then fourthly we see the last bit of verse 12. These are things into which angels long to look. Now, we don't often get a chance from the pulpit to speak about angels. That's real great. So here's a little segment we can look at about angels. And it's really exciting what we can learn about angels. We know just very shortly, and I know it's just a little bit of the verse, but you need to see what is happening here. Angels are used by God as, and they are used by God, to sing His praises. That's their main function. They are in heaven and they are to sing. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's what they do. They praise God and worship Him. But they have other jobs too. The angels are also there to serve God. And they are to do things on God's behalf. For example, Daniel in the lion's den. God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they wouldn't eat Daniel. So they're sent to do things. They are sent to take messages to people. For instance, when Mary was expecting the Lord, she saw an angel and the angel brought her a message from the Lord. So they are messengers as well. And here's the exciting bit. They are even sent to look after us. So that little phrase, guardian angel, that is biblical. It's just misused. God does send his angels to also be with us and to look after us. But here, their specific task is to watch the lives of Christians and to see how God's plan of salvation is unfolded in the lives of believers. Have you ever thought of that one? That's what that text says. The angels are watching us intently to see how God's plan is being unfolded in our very lives. So you thought you were alone? Well, look around. You might see angels by the throngs around you when you think you're alone because they are watching you intently and it's not because you're on the stage they want to see God's plan of salvation working out in your life as you overcome sin as you're in a situation and you manage to to not be tempted and to get out of that situation they go praise the Lord look he's just done it he's just overcome sin and God is alive and true his plan of salvation is being worked out every time you come with your family before God's word you open it up and you bring that truth to your children, and your children start believing it and say, Mom, Dad, I want to know Jesus. Guess what happens? The angels say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, because His plan of salvation is being unfolded in the lives of these believers. Look, there's a child that's come to our Lord. They're giving Him praise and honor and glory. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it said like this. Listen to this. It's through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities, wait for it, in the heavenly places. Who's he speaking about? Angels. Alright? Angels can see God's plan of salvation in us. 
They don't know all these things. They, they know less than we do about salvation. But they are seeing God's plan of salvation unfolded in us. And they take courage from that. And they give God glory in heaven. Wayne Grudem stated it like this. I want you to listen to this quotation. It's so accurate. Listen to what he says. And take courage from it this morning. Though the world may think Christians insignificant. Yep, you can relate to that. You've been at work and the people say, Are you Christians? You guys are mad. Though the world may think Christians insignificant and worthy of pity and scorn, angels who see ultimate reality from God's perspective, they are not tied to this earth either. They see ultimate reality from God's perspective. Find them to be objects of intense interest. That's you and I as believers. For they know that these struggling believers are actually, listen to this, the recipients of God's greatest blessings. Have you thought of that? As the angels watch you, they see you being blessed by God and you are getting His greatest blessings. And they are also the honored participants in a great drama at the focal point of universal history. Now, don't get a big head. Yes, you are part of this history, but you are a very small part. God is the big one here. He is big. We are small. But we are part of that plan of His. And the angels watch us intensely to see how God's glory is on display. And you see, as Peter wrote this to these believers, they must have got encouragement from this. We are part of this. Yes, I'm being tortured for my faith, but God knows. God knows. His angels are around. They're watching me. I'm not alone. God knows. And they took courage. But here the real question comes down to you and I as we finish off this morning. That's salvation right through history. Here we are in 2010. You've heard once again the message of salvation. It's come through history all the way from yesterday to today. You've heard the, the message of salvation. Here it is now. And the question is, how is it affecting you? Or are you going to turn your back on that salvation message as well? And if you're an unbeliever here, are you turning your back on God's offer of salvation and if you're a believer here, are you turning your back on obedience to that message of salvation? So there's turning of backs that can happen in two ways here. You see, this message that has come to us from the prophets all the way till now in 2010, the question is, have we submitted to it? That word submit means to put myself under the authority of that message of salvation. That's what the word submit means. In other words, if you're an unbeliever here, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Do you know Him as your personal Savior? My question wasn't do you know about Him, but do you know Him as your personal Savior? Have you been made new by Him? Because if not, this message of salvation is going to go right past you and you're going to go into tomorrow and the message of salvation is going to go on because God's plan doesn't stop because you refuse it and you will be left behind. That offer might not come to you. Scripture speaks about that. So hear God's word to you today. If you hear the Spirit's call in your life today, come to Him today. 
Don't think, I'll leave it till tomorrow. Many people have done that and they're lying in graves today without the Lord. Secondly, this message of salvation needs to be heard by us as a church. I'm speaking about us here, this community of believers who are part of God's plan here at Howie, uh, Wanganui East Baptist Church. You just cannot change some things. <laughs> the question is, have we heard that message today here as Wanganui East Baptist Church? Why do I say that? Because this message of salvation has come all the way from the Old Testament prophets, all the way to us here in 2010, and we've got a mission. What is our mission here as this church? To proclaim that message of salvation, not just to each other, but to people outside here and way into the community and way to distant lands. Alright, that's our mission. But the, the question to us is, are we still on task? Are we still fulfilling our mission? Because I tell you, there are many churches out there, and I met with a few this week, who shall remain nameless, their leaders, and I tell you, they are off task. They've lost sight of what they're about. They are not there to proclaim the Word of God anymore. They are there to provide social help. They are there to provide all kinds of other things except the message of salvation. And yes, there's nothing wrong with helping people around us. We must be doing so as a church. Are we? There's a second question, alright? We'll come back to that later. Are we doing that? But our first task, our first priority is to proclaim the gospel message as a church body. That's all of us. And then as individuals too. Are we doing that? Because if not, God will take his candlestick away from us. He will. He will cause this church to fold over. And it doesn't matter how many times we can come through these doors, we can go through these motions and sing songs, but if God's isn't in that, it will all come to nothing. We need to take note of God, God, what God is saying to us today as a church. Saying everything that we do, all our ministries in this church, we need to be evaluated. Are they there to proclaim God's message? If not, scrap them. We don't need them. We've got one priority and that is to serve the Lord first. Stay on task. And then lastly, are you struggling maybe to make sense? of what is happening to you as you strive to remain faithful to God. I'm talking about your everyday life now. Are you struggling? Things are happening. I don't know. There's difficult relationships. You've got problems with your children, financial difficulties. There might be jobs that are in the balance. But remind yourself of this from Scripture today. I am participating in and I am a part of God's amazing plan of salvation to the nations if I'm a believer. I'm part of that amazing plan. I am not just surviving in life on my own here in Wanganui. I'm part of God's global plan. It started way before time. It'll carry on way after me. But God will carry on His plan. I'm part of that. Secondly, as we read through God's Word, as we did this morning, Old Testament and New Testament, and as we see the central theme of salvation coming out of its pages, does that inspire us to praise and to worship of God? Or have we become blunted to the message? Step back, see God's vast plan and that you are part of it. And then give Him glory as the angels are. And lastly, as you go through your daily struggles and joys, 
I'm talking struggles and joys, not just the bad times. Remember that you're on stage. That time that you're alone and you think you're alone, you know, the look comes out, am I alone? You're not alone. You're on stage. God can see you. His Holy Spirit is in you if you're a believer. But that's not all. You're being watched by a throng, a multitude of angels as they see how you react and how you react to and how you are, how you take God's word and how you are obedient to it. They are watching because they want to see how Christ is glorified. And as they see your victories over sin, and as they see those joys in your life as God blesses you, they give continual praise and glory to God. And what are they saying? Hear their words from Scripture. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and He is now and He is to come. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain for all these people to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's what they're saying to God. We are part of God's grand plan. Let's live lives that are worthy, not just of our Savior, but as we realize that we are part of what God is doing globally. Let's fulfill that responsibility. Let's not just go through the motions of our Christian lives. This is a big story we're involved in. It's God's grand story. Let's pray. Lord God, we have to confess this morning that we go through our everyday lives that are busy. We've got programs. We've got school functions. We've got things to attend. We've even got a lot of church activities on. But Lord, so often we go through these things and we've forgotten about the God who we're worshipping. We're so busy. But Lord, thank you that we could just stop And just be examined by your word this morning. To be reminded that we are part of your great plan of salvation as believers. And Lord, when we are feeling down and when we are feeling ineffectual in our lives, when we feel like circumstances are coming over us, things are getting too much, may we remember that we are an integral part of what you've designed way before time. That Old Testament prophets even prophesied that we, the church, would be part of that grand plan. Lord, thank you that you've sent your spirit so that we're not alone anymore. You've sent us your helper. And not just that, Lord, you even put your angels around us at times to protect us and also to watch us. And Lord, thank you that we can take courage from that this morning. Lord, help us to live lives that honor you our great Master, who gave Himself up for us because of His great love. Lord, Lord, may we not turn our backs on You and Your love and live disobedient lives, but may we instead submit ourselves to Your Word daily, come into a daily relationship with You, make short account of our sins before You, and live lives that will show these angels watching us that we love you and we want to glorify you and your spirit is at work changing us to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. May we live victorious lives even during hard times we pray.
to you be all the glory, all the majesty, all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen.